Welcome to Leadership Matters, the podcast focused on leadership in our challenging world. Leadership Matters is the name because leadership really does matter. Now here's your host, Dr. John Bedker, a practitioner, a scholar, and a leader. Welcome aboard everyone to Leadership Matters. Thank you for tuning in to episode one of the Leadership Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Bedker. This is a first for me. I've never done a podcast or anything like this before. I was compelled to do this because of the many challenges we all face in today's world. I truly believe that leadership matters in our world, and I'm here to share stories of leaders and supposed leaders, how they impact our world and our lives. It's my pleasure to be your host for the Leadership Matters podcast. I hope we all can learn from these stories. Let's begin. This past Thursday, Martin Barron, the Washington Post executive editor, gave the online graduation remarks to the Harvard class of 2020. In there, he spoke of leaders and the need for telling the truth. His comments included, Only a few months ago, I would have settled for emphasizing that our democracy depends on facts and truth, and it surely does. But now, as we can plainly see, it's more elemental than that. Facts and truth are matters of life and death. Misinformation, disinformation, delusions, and deceit. These can kill. Barron went on to state that an independent press, imperfect though it may be, is key to ensuring that facts are presented and truth defended in our society. This is particularly true now, he said, as leaders in much of the world are moving to quash the independent press and efforts in this country to demonize, delegitimize, and dehumanize the press give license to other governments to do the same. These remarks by Martin Barron of the Washington Post provide the context and the background for episode one of the Leadership Matters podcast. Today, we're going to talk about another writer, another newspaper, and an article that is written to give a worldview of leaders, in particular, the leader of the United States, the president of the United States. The author is Fintan O'Toole, a highly respected, highly regarded, and awarded author in Ireland and around the world. He wrote this piece for the Irish Times on April 25th, and the title is The World Has Loved, Hated, and Envied the U.S., Now, for the first time, we pity it. Here is the article by Fintan O'Toole. Over more than two centuries, the United States has stirred a very wide range of feelings in the rest of the world. Love and hatred, fear and hope, envy and contempt, awe and anger. But there is one emotion that has never been directed towards the U.S. until now. Pity. However bad things are for most other rich democracies, it's hard not to feel sorry for Americans. 
Most of them did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016, yet they're locked down with a malignant narcissist who, instead of protecting his people from COVID-19, has amplified its lethality. The country Trump promised to make great again has never in its history seemed so pitiful. Will American prestige ever recover from this shameful episode? The U.S. went into the coronavirus crisis with immense advantages. Precious weeks of warning about what was coming. The world's best concentration of medical and scientific expertise. Effectively limitless financial resources. A military complex with stunning logistical capacity and most of the world's leading technology corporations. Yet it managed to make itself the global epicenter of the pandemic. As the American writer George Packer put it in the current edition of The Atlantic, the United States reacted like Pakistan or Belarus, like a country with shoddy infrastructure and a dysfunctional government whose leaders were too corrupt or stupid to head off mass suffering. It's one thing to be powerless in the face of a natural disaster, quite another to watch vast power being squandered in real time, willfully, malevolently, vindictively. It is one thing for governments to fail, as in one degree or another most governments did, quite another to watch a ruler and his supporters actively spread a deadly virus. Trump, his party, and Rupert Murdoch's Fox News became vectors of the pestilence. The grotesque spectacle of the president openly inciting people, some of them armed, to take to the streets to oppose the restrictions that save lives is the manifestation of a political death wish. What are supposedly to be daily briefings on the crisis, demonstrative of national unity in the face of a shared challenge, have been used by Trump merely to sow confusion and division. They provide a recurring horror show in which all the neuroses that haunt the American subconscious dance naked on live TV. It is the plague, if the plague is a test. Its ruling political nexus ensured that the U.S. would fail it at a terrible cost in human lives. In the process, the idea of the U.S. as the world's leading nation, an idea that has shaped the past century, has all but evaporated. Other than the Trump impersonator, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, who's now looking to the U.S. as the exemplar of anything other than what not to do. How many people in Dusseldorf or Dublin are wishing they lived in Detroit or Dallas? It is hard to remember now, but even in 2017, when Trump took office, the conventional wisdom in the U.S. was that the Republican Party and the broader framework of U.S. political institutions would prevent him from doing too much damage. This was always a delusion, but the pandemic has exposed it in the most savage ways. What used to be called mainstream conservatism has not absorbed Trump. He 
has absorbed it. Almost the entire right-wing half of American politics has surrendered abjectly to him. It has sacrificed on the altar of wanton stupidity the most basic ideas of responsibility, care, and even safety. Thus, even at the very end of March, 15 Republican governors had failed to order people to stay at home or to close non-essential businesses. In Alabama, for example, it was not until April 3rd that Governor Kay Ivey finally issued a stay-at-home order. In Florida, the state with the highest concentration of elderly people with underlying conditions, Governor Ron DeSantis, a Trump mini-me, kept the beach resorts open to students traveling from all over the U.S. for spring break parties. Even on April 1st, when he issued restrictions, DeSantis exempted religious services and recreational activities. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, when he finally issued a stay-at-home order on April 1st, explained, We didn't know that the virus can be spread by people without symptoms until the last 24 hours. This is not mere ignorance. It is deliberate and homicidal stupidity. There is, as the demonstrations this week in U.S. cities have shown, plenty of political mileage in denying the reality of the pandemic. It is fueled by Fox News and far-right internet sites, and it reaps from these politicians millions of dollars in donations, mostly, in an ugly irony, from older people who are most vulnerable to the coronavirus. It draws on a concoction of conspiracy theories, hatred of science, paranoia about the deep state, in religious providentialism. God will protect the good folks. That is now very deeply infused in the mindset of the American right. Trump embodies and enacts this mindset, but he did not invent it. The U.S. response to the coronavirus crisis has been paralyzed by a contradiction that the Republicans have inserted into the heart of the U.S. democracy. On the one hand, they want to control all the levers of governmental power. On the other, they have created a popular base by playing on the notion that government is innately evil and must not be trusted. The contradiction was made manifest in two of Trump's statements on the pandemic. On the one hand, that he has total authority, and, on the other, I don't take responsibility at all. Caught between authoritarian and anarchic impulses, he is incapable of coherence. But this is not just Donald Trump. The crisis has shown definitively that Trump's presidency is not an aberration. It has grown on soil, long prepared to receive it. The monstrous blossoming of misrule has structure and purpose and strategy behind it. There are very powerful interests who demand freedom 
in order to do as they like with the environment, society, and the economy. They have infused a very large part of American culture with the belief that freedom is literally more important than life. My freedom to own assault weapons trumps your right not to get shot at school. Now, my freedom to go to the barber, I need a haircut, trumps your need to avoid infection. Usually when this kind of outlandish idiocy is displaying itself, there is the comforting thought that if things were really serious, it would all stop. People would sober up. Instead, a large part of the U.S. has hit the bottle even harder. And the president, his party, and their media allies keep supplying the drinks. There has been no moment of truth, no shock of realization that the antics have to end, no one of any substance on the right has stepped in to say, get a grip. People are dying here. That is the mark of how deep the trouble is for the U.S. It is not just that Trump has treated the crisis merely as a way to feed tribal hatreds, but this behavior has become normalized. When the freak show is live on TV every evening, and the star is boasting about his ratings, it is not really a freak show anymore. For a very large and solid block of Americans, it is reality. And this will get worse before it gets better. Trump has at least eight more months in power. In his inaugural address in 2017, he evoked American carnage and promised to make it stop. But now that the real carnage has arrived, he is reveling in it. He is in his element. As things get worse, he will pump more hatred and falsehood, more death wish, defiance of reason and decency into the groundwater. If a new administration succeeds him in 2021, it will have to clean up the toxic dump he leaves behind. If he is reelected, toxicity will have become the lifeblood of American politics. Either way, it will be a long time before the rest of the world can imagine America being great again. Well, there we have quite an article, folks. Uh, the article by Fintan O'Toole is the mirror that the leader looks in and says, what do I see? And Fintan O'Toole says what he sees is troubling, deeply troubling about the leader because the leader represents America the American people, and American values. The problem is that perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps there are so many good American people driven to do the right thing, to tell the truth, to operate in a trustful way so that trustworthy behavior would be recognized. This is episode one. I thank you for listening. I hope you have that moment to reflect on the leadership implications 
of what we say and what we do, and that these words and these actions have meaning. They do for leaders. Thank you for listening to Leadership Matters, the podcast about leadership and why it matters in today's world. Now, more than ever, please join Dr. John Bedker again next week for another episode of Leadership Matters. For now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends until we meet again.